Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic is Get More Vessels. We'll be specifically looking at a miracle in the Old Testament in which a woman was reduced to just having a tiny amount of oil left. And then the, uh, Elisha, who was a prophet, uh, kind of engineered a miracle in a way that we don't know in, in which all that oil was able to multiply. So we'll be looking tonight at what that means. And if you want to join us for that, please do, good friends. Let's open with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you're the one God of heaven and earth. We turn to you, Lord, and seek to understand you as you manifest in the pages of the Word, for you are the Word made flesh. We thank you for coming down and dwelling among us. We seek your spirit and a sense of your presence. Amen. Amen. So nice to be with you all, sending love to those of you out there online and those of you on the phone and getting the audio podcast and here in the room. Very nice to see everybody. And uh, we're taking a somewhat different approach tonight where we're just concentrating on mainly one story. We'll skip out to a couple of other verses here and there. But I want to dig deep into this story here. It, it intrigues me. So if you go to the, the left end of your Bible, don't know if this is the right way to give directions. Probably not standard. Uh, uh, if you go through the five books of Moses and then Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, I want to go to Second Kings. So it's before the Chronicles. 2 Kings chapter 4, and we want to read these first seven verses. The, the Bible is just full of these unusual little stories, and you just hear a story, and then you never hear anything more about those people. You don't know anything more about what happened or anything, just this little vignette. So let's look at this particular little vignette. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. This is where our title comes from of Get More Vessels. Okay, go on. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her. And she poured it out. Now it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. Yes, there it is. It's a little, little vignette, but there's a lot that we can think about in here. So let's uh, go back over this with a fine-tooth comb and have a look at what we're talking about here. One of the things that's important to know, as I'm sure you do, good friends, is that in that day and age, like I believe it was impossible for a woman at that time to own property, 
or to earn money or anything like that. So uh, the women were entirely dependent on their men, either the husband or the sons. And so this woman was dependent on her husband, but now he's died. And the further crisis that she faced was that her two sons were going to be taken uh, into debtor's prison, in effect, or to be enslaved because of the debts that were left behind. And so, and who was this husband again in 4 verse 1? Uh, that was Elisha's servant. Yes, your sir, and, and it, it was, she was one of the wives of what are called the sons oh, yeah. of the prophets. Like the prophets would have followers. They don't mean literally sons, but Swedenborg says that it's expressed this way because of the inner meaning of it. Uh, so the, her husband was one of these followers of Elisha's. A, a pupil, a, a, you know, someone who's apprenticing or learning from him, a son of the prophet kind of thing is what they would call that. And so she was his wife and he was devoted. Now let's look in the middle of verse one there. You know that your servant feared who? who whom did he The fear? Lord. The Lord. And that's the Lord in small caps in my Bible. Is it in small caps? Yes, in your Bible? sir. Which is Yahweh or Jehovah. It's the Tetragrammaton. Um, in other words, uh, Swedenborg carefully distinguishes between the meaning of the Lord and the meaning of God. God has to do with truth. The Lord has to do with love. So this person who died was a servant of love is the, the meaning of that. Uh, one thing I hasten to say is that uh, we're flying a little bit blind tonight in the sense, which you often do, that Swedenborg never, ever, ever, ever says anything ever about this story. He never mentions it. Not one detail of it does he ever explain anywhere. Uh, so we don't have a lot of help, direct help in terms of figuring out uh, what this thing means. But uh, luckily every story, even though it just seems like, oh, well, there's a little vignette. You know, there's a little story, a really weird random story about this little miracle about the oil. Okay, that's kind of neat, you know don't know what it means, and then you move on to the next thing and you never hear another thing about them. Uh, but when you start to get to know Scripture some more, uh, this is a story about a widow, right? This is a story about a widow and a widow in a somewhat desperate situation who's concerned about losing her sons and she's suffering from debt. And so there's something about vessels and something about oil. Well, is this the only story in Scripture about widows? No. Oh, no, a lot of stories about widows. Are there stories about desperate widows? Yes, there are stories about people in desperate straits. Are there stories about like a woman and her son, like Hagar and Ishmael, where there's a concern that he's going to die, she's going to lose the son or whatever? You know, this is not the only story about a woman who's concerned about losing her sons in one way or another. Uh, we just had an episode a few weeks ago about uh, distressed debt and discontent. Uh, this is not the only story about debt. Uh, she's facing a very serious debt. So we got little handles, you know what I mean? Once you start to associate the pattern of the story. Also, you may know that story about the ten virgins in, in Matthew 25, where five of them have oil and lamps, and five have lamps but no oil. So there's another oil and vessel story, right? You know, and so... Uh, after you start looking back and forward in Scripture, 
their, their little handle, you know, it, your echoes of other stories and so on. And there are obviously lots of other miracles. And uh, the net result of all this is that she's going to be able to sell the oil and pay this debt. Okay, so the creditor is going to come and take away her two sons. And so Elisha's response is interesting. What does he say in verse 2 there? What shall I do for you? Yeah, now it's interesting. Uh, Elisha doesn't, you know, it struck me reading this that uh, like there's a, we, we wonder a lot like how, what makes you sort of eligible for a miracle or what, what can you do? And uh, so Elisha doesn't barge into the house unannounced and suddenly wave his wand and there's a whole lot of oil all over the place. You know, that didn't happen. Um, uh, there were a lot of things she had to do, didn't she? She had to, first of all, go talk to him. Then she had to answer the question, well, what do, you, what do you want? What can I do for you? So she has to have an answer for that. And then he says, what do you have in the house? Well, she has to figure out what she already has. And then, uh, and then she has a task. Elisha actually never really does anything. He says a couple of things, but he, you don't... Like, I don't know how the miracle happened, because he doesn't sort of, you know, lay his hands on or something, you know, like he, he just says, do this. And so she and her sons have to go out and get all these vessels from all over the place, you know, different kinds of containers that are empty. And then uh, she also has to go into the house. She has to shut the door. It's an interesting detail that I never remember from, from the story before, but we talked about close that gate a few weeks ago, and this is a similar sort of story, but shut that door behind you. It's an interesting little detail that she has to do. So she has to go out. They have to go out and get vessels, but then they have to shut the door behind them. You don't do this in the front yard, you know. Shut the door behind you. Go in, get all those vessels out, and then she has the job of pouring, and the sons have the job of bringing her the vessels. The man of God is quite clear about this. This is what needs to happen. Get the sons to bring you the vessels, and you just pour, pour, pour. So she pours and pours and pours, and they bring, until she finally says, okay, bring me another one, bring me another one. And then they say, oh, there are no more. The oil stops, and then she comes and tells the man of God what happened. Like, how did he do it? I don't know how he did it. But it seems like <coughs> she's doing, there's a miracle, but she's doing like 90%, of, you know. It's not like he just comes in and magically oil appears or something. Uh, or he says, look, I'll, I'll bring you some oil and I'll get the vessels for you. Or uh, No, she, there's a lot that she has to do. She has to figure out what she has. She has to figure out what she needs. She has to go out and get things. And then she has to do this pouring and her sons have to help. And then she goes back. And then she has to sell it to pay off the debt. And then she has more that she can sell later uh, to, you know, for, their, for their livelihood. Um, so there's a lot that she needs to do. And so Elisha says, what do I need to do for you? And then he asks a second question in verse 2. Tell me, what do you have in the house? What do you have in the house? Such an interesting... Aren't there a lot of situations where some desperate person speaks to Jesus or speaks to a prophet or to Moses or to somebody? And uh, doesn't the Lord say uh, to people, you know, what, what would you like me to do for you or things like that? or an angel comes to Hagar and says, what ails you? Or, you know, there's often a question. I like that, 
that question in there, and he's got two questions. What should I do for you? And tell, tell, okay, tell me this. What do you have already? What, what do you have in the house? And her answer is kind of twofold in a way, isn't it? Can you say that in the latter part of verse 2 there? Your maidservant has nothing in the house. If but you stop there, like answer number one is nothing. I, ha I have nothing. I have nothing. And then there's... But a jar of oil. Except for this jar of oil. Okay, so I, I, not, I, I don't have anything except that jar of oil. Now, the jar of oil, the Hebrew word for that jar of oil, is related to the word anointing. I get the impression, just from the gist of the story, it, it's called a jar of oil in the New King James, a pot in the Old King James. I don't know what it is in the Bible that you're reading there, but um, I think, like, how much oil do you need to anoint yourself? You, you don't need six gallons, right? You don't need a 30-gallon drum. Or so, you know, I think this is a little flask that you just, whoop, you know, just take a little bit and then anoint yourself. You know, I think she really thinks, I got nothing, well, except for that meaningless little, you know, I got this tiny little anointing flask thing uh, with oil in it. I mean, that's about it. I, and it fits with the story to my mind that actually what she's got is very little you know, that it's a little container. Now, I can't prove that, but when I think about what a little anointing thing is, and I looked up the Hebrew, it's like a flask or something. It's just, I think it was pretty small, actually. And so then, what did he say in verse 3? Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. Okay, so there are four instructions in this verse, aren't there? And I'm very interested in this point where is she supposed to get these vessels? Everywhere. Everywhere. Don't like, oh, go next door. You know, the, those people have several. Go everywhere, everywhere. This will become spiritually significant when, when we look at that in this little bit. So file that away in your mind. Go everywhere. And then it says to? All your neighbors. All your neighbors. Okay. Everywhere all your neighbors, go to all your neighbors, but you're not supposed to get vessels that already have stuff in them, obviously. You're supposed to get empty, empty ones, and don't just get a couple three, I think is how the Hebrew originally reads. No, uh, not a few, right? Not a few. That's why our title is Get More Vessels, or I thought about titling it Get Many Vessels. You know, not a few. So you're supposed to go out, go everywhere, and ask everybody, do you have a vessel? And interestingly, that it's the, the word for everywhere in the Hebrew is a word that has to do with everything that's outside. It, like there's inside and then there's outside. And this is the word for the outside. Just go all over the place out there. Because your house, all you got is this flask. But go out there and get all these empty vessels. He doesn't ask do you have other vessels in your house? Presumably she doesn't or something, but, but it, every, you're going to get all these vessels other places. And then this interesting detail in verse 4, what's that again? And when you've come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Shut the door behind, yes, yeah, so don't, fate, usually when you shut a door, you're facing it, aren't you? 
but she's supposed to sh shut, shut the door behind her and her sons. Go on. Uh, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. Yes, okay, so he doesn't say get your sons to do this and you do that or whatever. Uh, he just says, you know, pour it out into all the vessels and set aside what is full. Okay, and so she leaves talking to him, and it, it, uh, they don't even mention in the telling of the story, which is interesting, their actual going out and borrowing. Isn't there another story that just occurs to my mind where when the children of Israel are leaving Egypt, don't they go to spoil the Egyptians? Don't they get all their jewelry and stuff, stuff from, you know? It's an, another, there's another similar story about, which Swedenborg does explain, uh, of how, okay, go borrow this, go borrow these things. And so you don't hear about her borrowing the things at all, do you? She just went from him and she goes straight to shutting the door apart. But we assume that she went and got all those vessels. She shut the door behind her and her sons and go on. And, uh, and she poured it out. Yeah, so they brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. So the man of God didn't say that was how they should do it, but that is how they figured it out. Okay, they'll bring the vessels. She'll pour it out. Okay, verse 6. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Now that's interesting. Now the way that's worded is curious, isn't it? when the vessels were full, like sort of if this is a purely earthly story, I mean, I know you can tell stories in different ways, but wouldn't you say, oh, well, I filled that vessel, so that vessel's full now. Take number two, fill it up. Now that one's full. Fill number three. Now that one's full. But it doesn't say when the last vessel was full. It said when the vessels were full, almost as if you put a pint in each one and then another pint in each one and then another pint in each one. You know, uh, the, the way that it's describing it is as if all the vessels are getting full. And then when, when they're all full, then she says, bring me another vessel. And he says, there isn't one. And the oil stopped. And uh, verse 7 again. Then she came and told the man of God. And he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt. <coughs> Sorry. And you and your sons live on the rest. Yeah, that's right. Now, she might have been able to figure out what, what to do next, but it's the man of God who tells her. And it's interesting that he's named Elisha in verses 1 and 2, but now he's become the man of God. You know, he's called the man of God. She goes to the man of God and says, I've, I've done this. And uh, he says, go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you live on the rest. So Elisha's giving instructions, but... He's very hands-off in this whole... He doesn't actually do anything, does he? It's just curious to me. Okay, so what is this talking about? Well, uh, from things that we can put together from what Swedenborg says, you may be familiar, good friends, with, the, with Swedenborg's thought. Uh, really, if we take Luke 24 at all seriously, we think that, without Swedenborg's help, that the whole Old Testament is about the Lord. It's about... Uh, the, the journey of how we get to heaven and so on. It's got spiritual messages in there that we understand more when we think in terms of the Lord. And so there's more than meets the eye here. 
So, okay, who is Elisha? Let's start there. Well, the prophets all represent the Lord, and they all specifically, Swedenborg says, represent the Lord in his role as the Word. You know, the Lord in the presence of the Lord in the Word. And so whatever Elisha is doing in this story is what the Word does for us, what the Lord does for us through the Word. And so anytime you see a prophet like that in there, a man of God, you can substitute either the Lord or the Word and think about it from that angle. So this, this woman is going to the Word to get these answers. Okay, so what does this woman mean? Well, she's a widow. Now there's a fascinating passage in Swedenborg's works, uh, I think I've mentioned this to you some, somewhat before, good friends, but there's an interesting relationship that he has to gender. He says that gender has a meaning and that the genders are complementary in Scripture, but either gender can mean either truth or love. And there's a specific passage, as Swedenborg says, Secrets of Heaven 91-98, that says that widows have two meanings. They are either someone who has truth, like the woman, the widow, equals truth, but she's longing for love or, or goodness or something, or she means goodness or desire or affection or something, and she's longing for truth. Widows mean both of those things. So which one does she mean here? Well, Swedenborg's given us no help whatever, uh, except these hints that are hither and yon. But... I was thinking about the fact that the servant, this was a servant of the Lord, of love. He was a servant of, I think he means love. And I think what she means in this story, uh, and the way Swedenborg explains it, there's really an infinite number of readings that are all correct, and there's an infinite number of readings that are incorrect. So there's a lot of room, and there's kind of a 50-50 chance that we'll get it right. But um, it provided it points to some truth, he says, you know. Um, I think what she means is that state where I think she means truth and the love has disappeared. I think she means a state in us which we can pretty easily get to. You know, when you start to think about this and you start to look it up in yourself, have you had the experience where uh, you've learned and learned and learned and learned? Maybe you had a passion. Maybe you had a passion for something, you know. Let's say you wanted to get into medicine and you wanted to help people or something like that. And so you get into medicine, you learn, you learn, you learn, you learn, you learn. But then at a certain point, like the love dies. Her husband's dead, right? Like she got into it, there was a love there, but now the love has died. And all she's got is this head full of fascinating facts, but she's just kind of going through the motions or whatever. You know what I mean? I think it's some state like that that we can get into in which we have truth and we long to, we've lost a passion or a joy, an excitement, you know, or something like that. Uh, that's what that widow state is in this case. It can also go the other way around that he's truth. But I think the fact that he was a servant of the Lord and not God uh, tilts us in this other way. And it kind of makes sense to me that she is this way. And she's very concerned. And the other big factor for her is debt. And what we found out in that uh, episode a few weeks ago about debt is that debt has to do with sin. And what I mainly base this on is the fact that the Lord's Prayer in one gospel uh, uses debts and in the other one in exactly parallel passage says sins. 
So one says, forgive us our debts, as we also forgive those who owe us. And the other one says, forgive us our sins, for even we forgive anyone who owes us. So in both passages, or certainly in that Luke one, uh, the sin is associated with, with debt. There's a burden, you know. There's something that you owe. You've done something wrong. And so it says, you know, we want the Lord to forgive our debts as we forgive others who owe us kind of thing. And so I think that debt has to do with wrongs that we've done and so forth. So this is someone, I think it's a picture of someone whose life, you, you launch out into life, uh, you learned a lot, you know a lot, but the passion kind of went out of it, the love's gone, you know, you're not feeling it anymore, it's not a joyful thing, there's not delight in it, and there's this kind of baggage, there's this weight there's this debt burden. We even speak about it that way, don't we? And that the sin is associated with weight in Hebrews 12, verse 1. And, and uh, so we're, we're burdened down, so burdened down that she's likely to lose her sons. And I think sons have here something to do with the, with the intellect or the, or the mind, uh, that she's going to lose these sons to this debt. The debt is so bad that it's going to take, you know, like some issue, some addiction, some problem that she has is going to take away even the little truth that she has left in her life and, and her livelihood. So she, it really is like a life and death situation for her. So Elisha says, what shall I do for you? So the Lord says, you know, what, what, what do you want me to do for you? The word says, what do you want me to do? What do you have in the house? Now the house, Swedenborg says in other passages, means... Our will, it's particular, like if the property is the outside of your life, the house is the inside of your life kind of thing. It's your will, it's where you live, it's where you sleep. It's really the core of your, your um, persona. And we'll get into this when they shut the door and everything. And so what, what do you have already in yourself? Okay, so the, the love died or something, but do you have anything? Do you have anything in there? And she, I think this really speaks to her state, that she's in a state of despair. She says, I've got nothing. That, that's her first answer, the way I read it. I've got nothing Ex- except this little flask of oil over here for anointing. Um, that's like, can't really live on that, but it's like, okay, that's what I have. Oil, by the way, back in that day, was used for all sorts of things. It was how you lit your house, you know, so it was oil equals light. It, uh, it was a, a form of wealth. It was precious. Um, uh, obviously, cooking, you know, eating, uh, all sorts of things were, were based around oil. And so she says, okay, I do have this little jar of oil. Well, what I think that means, I, I read years ago an interesting book uh, by Lawrence Lashan called Cancer is a Turning Point. And one of the things he was charged with was people who'd gone right off the end of their treatment, uh, he was supposed to use some form of psychotherapy to help them. And he used psychotherapy on, on these people who'd gone off the end of the medical system, and 100% of them died. He never had a lick of success. So he decided to change up his method, and he started trying to get people back in touch with something they'd been passionate about. And sometimes it took a long while because these people were pretty beat, you know. 
but sometimes he would find out, oh, this girl, you know, woman, when she was a girl, she used to love reading about the Russian ballet and she would cut the things out of the newspaper and she knew all the names and all that kind of stuff. So there was a little jar of oil in there. She'd forgotten about it almost, but there was a little passion in there somewhere for something. You know, there was something that, that she cared about uh, that she might have even overlooked. So when he first asked, what do you have? He says, I, I got nothing. Well, except that little flash thing, but, you know, what is that, that kind of thing. So, um, all right. And so he says, the man of God says, go borrow all these vessels from everywhere. Now, what are these vessels and what does borrowing mean? Well, luckily, lots of other stories talk about borrowing, and so Swedenborg explains what it means. Borrowing has to do with, like, when you borrow from someone, the, that physical thing of borrowing from somebody is spiritually like learning something from that person. That person teaches you something. So these, this is something she may not know. And so she's supposed to go learn. Go get vessels. Go borrow vessels from your neighbors. And what does it say? Borrow vessels from just that one Kmart or something? No. Everywhere. Borrow vessels from everywhere. Go to all your neighbors. Wow. So this is like go learn as much as you can from all over the place, from anybody you can possibly learn it from. Learn, 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 learn. Now, it interests me that all this learning, let me flip over this graphic here that I did, very simple as it is, but I just depicted, for those of you getting the audio, a house, which is just sort of a box up here with a door in it, and there's an almost invisible tiny flask of oil <laughs> on a little table there, and then I just represented some vessels that are outside the house here. So they're supposed to go out. Out is interesting, like let's go outside of yourself, Go outside of your house and go borrow these vessels. And they're empty vessels. Now, it's a little bit of a weird assignment. Oh, can I borrow something from you that has absolutely nothing in it? Sure, I guess. Okay, thank you. And then you bring this empty thing home. You just go out and get all these empty things. Now, um, you see, this is a learning, this is a learning phase. This is about learning, I think. And get more vessels is like, okay, you reached a certain point, but now the love has died. Do you have any passion in there? And can you go out and get some more vessels? Learn some more. Read stuff, whatever. Just, just try to get some more information in here and get as much as you can and get it from all over the place. Get it from everywhere, from all your neighbors. Get empty ones and not just a few. Um, Whenever we learn, isn't it the case, like everyone who's ever been a teacher, uh, unless you're teaching, I don't know, like graduate students or returning adults or something like that, generally you're always facing a group that does not care. <laughs> you know? They just don't, how could they care? They don't have your vessel yet. I mean, they, they just don't care. Oh, I have to take this course and such and such, you know? But somehow you try to get them excited. Like, it's exciting to you. You have that vessel. It's like, well, here, let me, let me give you this vessel that I have. Well, it's just empty. I know, I know, I know. But hang in there. It might be able to be filled with something at some point. 
I, I have one like it, and it's full of oil. It, I, I, you know, I like it a lot. Um, when you're in that learning phase, you're always, uh, to some extent, picking up stuff that you don't yet care much about. You're just taking in information. But it's a weird story, isn't it, to say, hey, you know, passion's gone out. Uh, you know, I already have truth, you know, uh, but I don't have the love piece, and I don't know what to do, and I'm kind of burdened by this baggage, and I don't know what to do about it. To say, well, go learn more. Go learn more stuff. What, what's going on here? Well, then there's a second phase after you do all this gathering from out here. Then what comes next? Then you have to go inside, right? And you have to shut the door. She has to shut the door behind us, behind her. Now, uh, in that episode called Close That Gate a few weeks ago, there was the idea that in our minds, in the house or the city of our minds, I think this is very similar to the city and a gate, this door in the house, uh, there can be a door uh, to hell, right? And it's very interesting that she's supposed to shut the door, and it's also very interesting that she's supposed to shut it behind her and her sons. Don't even look at the door. Just shut that. Very important to block off. So first thing, go get a bunch of vessels that may be empty, but stack them all in there somewhere. Secondly, shut that door so the, the outside is not coming in right now. Shut the door behind you and your sons. And then this internal work begins. Okay, so they've gone out. I'll just draw some arrows here. So first of all, they went out and they went all over the place to get these vessels. And then we'll pick a slightly darker blue to say that they all come back and they go in the door and they shut that door and now you've got uh, all these vessels in here, just vessels, vessels, vessels. whole bunch of, they got as many as they could possibly get. A whole lot of vessels all over the place. And, um, and so she pours. And the miracle, the text doesn't even say, does it? That what happened was that just the oil kept coming. There was more oil than the normal laws of physics would suppose that there would be. Because every time she poured the oil, it filled up the container, but she still had more in there. So she filled up the container, and she still had more. She filled up the container, and she still had more, until finally there was the last one. And when all the vessels were full, then there's no more vessels, and then the oil stops. It says, go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you live off the rest. Um, so um, what little she has, and you notice that the man of God didn't, Give her, here, use my oil. Your oil's no good. Let me give you some special oil. This will be way better than the stupid oil that you have. You know, he doesn't say that. Use your oil, your oil that you already own. You use that and you pour that out and that will keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. This is something that I think we experience if you look at it in your lives. I don't know if you've, you've experienced this, friends, I want to give an example from my own life um, that uh, when I was young, there were very, very few things that I was interested in. But one thing I was passionately interested in was music. Very, always, always playing the guitar, play the piano, play the piano, play the guitar. Uh, 
And I'm interested to look back to see, maybe I had a little jar of love of music there. Uh, but then the Lord somehow made that so I got interested. Well, then if you're interested in music, then you get interested in musical instruments. And you get interested in composing and you get interested in arranging and you get interested, I got interested in recording, and then I got interested in recording equipment, then I got interested in recording studios, and how you soundproof them, and how you use fiberglass insulation to absorb 99% of the sound across the bandwidth spectrum, how you float buildings inside on rubber so that they don't vibrate, even if you're in Manhattan, you can have a recording studio in there, you have the double doors, you have the double windows, and all of a sudden, wait a minute, I'm in fiberglass, and you know, like where did the, you know, but music, that love of music was able to pour out into all these other things. Because I love music, I love those other things. And they took me into far afield into other areas because that love of music, you know, sort of stretched. And when I was going to school, I, I just uh, remember vividly that so often I was just incredibly, um, just I wasn't interested in whatever it was that I was learning. Um, you know, and then they say, well, here are five topics. You can do topic boring, topic deadly boring, uh, topic you don't want to do, topic you don't care about, or super boring. You know, which of those would you like to do? And you have to do it in a 25-page paper due by the end of the, you know, end of the month or something. Well, I would do the exercise of trying to think, well, I find those boring for some reason, but... The, uh, but is there anything I love, you know, is there anything I love already that could sort of stretch over there and make me interested in one of those topics, you know? And that would often work, like I would find enough to be able to have the passion to go through that. So I feel like I was experiencing a little bit of this little pouring thing, you know, you bring the thing that you love now, but oh look, it goes into a different vessel, oh, it goes in here, it goes in there. Um, as, as you're learning these vessels, then you're pouring in some passion and interest into those different things. Um, very important, I think that shutting of the door is a kind of repentance thing, you know, like block that bad influence. And um, uh, so there's a very important element of this story that I, I want to bring in. This, this story reads a number of different ways, but one way is that... Uh, uh, just to think about education. I wanted to actually read you a, a quote that I have on my phone. If you type into Google, um, I just typed in today, NDE, Increased Appetite for Learning. This is the first thing that came up. After learning miraculous lessons about the universe during near-death experiences in heaven, People passionately seek to learn knowledge and wisdom when they return to their earthly lives. One of the many, one of the many after effects of an NDE is an insatiable desire for education. It's interesting that when people go to the other world, and this is well attested, people go to the other world, have a little visit, they come back and they're dying to learn. It's just interesting. It's like the woman goes to the man of God and he says, hey, well, just learn. Become a learning maniac. Get all these vessels, you know, because I think by dipping into heaven, they can see what happens when you learn. And the more you have, the more fun it is. Get vessels from all over the place and not just a few. This is fun. I started thinking about the figure of Jesus in the New Testament where 
you could not, he was innocent. He was good through and through, but you could never call him naive. He knew, he knew about politics, international, you know, relations. He knew about current events. He knew about viticulture. He knew about animal husbandry. He knew about finances. You know, he knew so much. You know, he he had gotten all the, and this is partly a story about the Lord. What did he do? Well, he take take that passion, get all these vessels and learn and learn and learn. Some of it's going to be spiritual knowledge. You go all over the place. Go to the spiritual, learn spiritual stuff. Go to the earthly things, learn earthly things. Just everywhere, from all your neighbors, learn all these things to fill up these vessels. And I think that's something that the Lord did in a very perfect and infinite kind of way. Uh, Swedenborg also says amazing things about what happens to us after death. He says this, and see if you think this is related. Um, he says that after, the, after our deaths, all the states of our life return. So all the different states that we've been in, and he qualifies this sometimes about depending on whether you become a good person or an evil person by that point or whatever, but, but he says all the states of your life return. And when they, are return, when they return, they are filled, he says. So it's as if the experiences that we're having in this world have a certain potential, but we seldom fill it. We just, we got a few drops in that vessel. So we got a vessel, we got a few drops of something in there, but it's not full. He, he says it both ways, frankly. He says that if a people are good, when those vessels get filled, they, they, that actual experience of going back over your memories and seeing something good in them, the Lord shows you good things about them and fills that potential with love, fills it with oil. Oil means love. Uh, that actual experience of going back through your memories is what lifts you into heaven permanently. That, that's how you actually get there, is by reliving experiences and having them topped up. Let me top that up for you. You know, you have just a little bit in there. Boom, let's, let's, let's fill that up. So this is why the Lord is saying, get a lot of vessels. Doesn't matter if they're empty, because I can fill them. Just if you have three, I'll fill three. If you have 3,000, I'll fill 3,000. It, it'll be, I'm telling you, get a lot. Get many, get more vessels than you already have. Because this, this, thing, is, this thing is fun that I'm planning to do, where he fills those up. The flip side, uh, on, a, on a negative side, is that if we've turned ourselves to evil and everything's oriented to evil, let's say we have a flask and we have no oil or something, you know, um, then those things get filled with evil and falsity and they sink us down into hell. Uh, but it's important that our state be full. You, we are going to, after death, reach... Don't you often feel like, well, this is not quite at the full potential or it seems like something's missing or whatever... Yeah, your vessels are all empty. I know, it's cool. It's all right, you know. But the Lord's going to fill them. The Lord's going to fill them all. And not quickly, one by one. <whistles> fill this one, fill that one, fill this one, fill the one, until you reach this 
just a magnificent situation. And that's just the start. Then there's eternal growth after that that we've talked about before, of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. Uh, but there's a filling up after we die based on the vessels that we've gathered in our lives here. So that's pretty sweet. And I think that's part of what's implied in this story as well. It's only seven verses long, but it's kind of got the entire arc of our lives in there in a way, I think. You know, this is the way the word is. It's, it's amazing. Um, and uh, selling the oil and paying the debt, I think, is doing good by way of counteracting the evil. It may be making amends. It may, you know, it may be just paying it forward, whatever form it may take. But you pay down that debt by the good that you do. You know, once you've got all this oil, you pay down the debt uh, until that's, that's gone and uh, you're of benefit to others. And then you're in that state that's described as forgiven and you base your life on this good. Then your livelihood is this good that you're doing from this abundant love and these vessels uh, that you've developed in your mind. Um, all right, how am I doing? Not bad, not bad. Um, so uh, with, the, <laughs> with the word, uh, one of the ways, some of these vessels are from the word, I think, you know, not for everybody, but something that you can go get a lot of. Even in Bible study, I mean, I couldn't avoid it when I was getting ready for this Bible study. I thought, well, wait a minute, this is kind of what I do in Bible study. I may have a little thing that's itching me in my mind or something that just I want to, I'm intrigued. I want to study that. And then you go to Genesis, to Revelation, all the Gospels, all over the place, and you get other vessels, and then they all get filled up. You see that compassion in there, and it all gets filled up. So it's kind of what we do in Bible study. And certainly what I'm hoping to do for all of you is to, you know, like borrow vessel, you know, like I'm, I'm hoping to, to be a source of vessel borrowing. I'm doing a lot of vessel borrowing while I, while I do this, you know, we all sort of share them, save them and trade them, you know. And um, so I see two phases here. One is an outside phase where you go gather all these empty vessels. And I think that's a learning phase. And then there's an interior oil filling phase, which is the growth in love and compassion. I think your love and compassion grows according to how many. Now, frankly, I don't know exactly what Swedenborg means by this full state. I don't know. But he does say that some have a little, some have a lot. You know, he just says it just differs from one person to another what they have. Something he says along these lines is that um, uh, he says that there are three heavens. And he says the outermost heaven, actually, interestingly, is not very devoted to learning. They like to just get their marching orders and just do it. You do the thinking, I'll do the doing. You know, that's, that's what they're like. They don't want to be confused with the facts or whatever. Just, you know, just set me in a certain direction, I'll go. You know, they're like the hands and feet. And, and so there's not a tremendous interest in learning. And so periodically, the way Swedenborg describes it, some angel has to come down and say, hey, remember, 
do it this way, don't do it that way, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Give them their marching orders and then they're set to go and they'll just do that uh, for, for a long while. But the other two heavens, the middle heaven known as the spiritual heaven and the highest heaven known as the celestial or heavenly heaven, are voracious learners. And the, and the celestial even more than the spiritual. Just They're just learning machines. They just love it. And they keep learning and keep learning and keep learning to eternity. And so they've got all these vessels. Now there's a lot of, a lot of capacity there or something. you know. And so they keep going and going and going and going. So that's a beautiful thought. And I think that may be partly why people who dip over to the other side... Swedenborg didn't say it, you know, you can just read about NDEs. They just say they came back with this galloping desire for knowledge because they started to see, oh, it's not just mere facts. I mean, that might look like an empty vessel now, but get a hold of that thing. Get this one, get that one, get the other one. Learn about all kinds of things. Get those in there, get more vessels. Um, if you're the natural heaven type, that's fine. You know, just get a few or something. But I think the Lord really wants us to get a lot because there's a lot that he can do if we provide that. You notice, Elisha doesn't do much. The woman has to do practically everything. She has to say, she has to be humble. She has to approach the man of God. She has to say, I've got nothing except I've got this flask of oil. Then she has to go borrow things. Then she has to do the pouring. Then she has to sell it. You know, it's a lot on us to do this, right? So as if of ourselves to go out and, and learn all these things. Um, so, uh, did I say everything that I wanted to say? I love the fact that she cried out at the beginning that uh, she's in a state of despair. And so this is a gradual story of moving from despair to where there's... Isn't it astonishing? Think about the love of the Lord. She starts out with no, if I'm reading it right, the fact that her son, who was a servant of the Lord, died is like she has lost love and passion and excitement and whatever in her life. Uh, she's got the truth, but it's kind of a dead, a dead thing, just sort of going through the motions. That's where she starts the story, and she appeals to the Lord through the Word. And then somehow through the Word, the Lord is able to, when she gets all this knowledge from the world, from the Word, the Lord is able to fill her heart to just a ridiculous degree. He's able to take us from this situation where it just seems like, you know, that thing died, the love died, and we got nothing, you know? We, we can't see that we really have anything. Let's close with a few scriptures up in the New Testament. Let's go to Matthew. Just wanted to read a couple of things that, Seem to echo this a bit. Matthew 19, verse 29. What does the Lord say here? And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands <clears throat> for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Yes, it's a, just a little picture of that tremendous increase going from a flask to like a house full of oil. You're basically independently wealthy, you know. Uh, it's, uh, so, so you're going from nothing. That next verse is interesting, isn't it? Many that are first should be last and the last verse. 
that you're going from a reversal of feeling that you have no nothing, you know, you're kind of bankrupt, uh, to suddenly, oh, thank you, you know. There's all this love there that the Lord gives us if we do our part and go collect all these things. And look at Matthew 25. I referred to that parable of the ten virgins, and we can just look at that at the beginning there real quick, that uh, there were five who were wise in verse 2 and five were foolish, and the foolish took their lamps but no oil, and the wise took oil in their vessels with the lamps. And then there's talk in verses 9 and 10 about buying and selling and whether they can buy and sell, which is a little bit like this selling and borrowing and so on that's, that's going on in this story. And look down in that same chapter, 25, at verse 29. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. Hmm. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. It's a hard teaching, but I've been able gradually to see the mercy in it uh, that because she had a flask of oil, she had, she had something good there. There was something good still there, even if it was small. Uh, there was some love still there uh, that that was able to be expanded to this abundance. Uh, but if you have nothing, if there's nothing receptive in you to what the Lord wants to give, um, then even what you have is taken away because you can't go into hell reeking of goodness and truth and you can't go into heaven reeking of evil and falsity. It, it just has to be separated out and it's actually a mercy, although that's hard to defend. And look, turn to the right to Luke. We'll go through Mark to Luke. Chapter 6. Hmm. Let's look at 37 and 38 there in Luke 6. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And listen to this. Give, and it will be given to you. Hmm. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it will be measured back to you. Yes, and uh, the bosom there is the same thing that the house means. This is something internal in you. The Lord is trying to give us a goodness, even though we never really own it. It's His goodness. But He's trying to put something into our hearts. And so that good measure, so it's already was a good measure, and then you press it down to get some more in there, then you shake it together to get it down some more, and then you pour some more on there until it's running over. That's what the Lord wants to put into our hearts. I think it's similar to this, this story here. Uh, and how we get there is that we have to, we have to give to others. We, it, it starts with us uh, doing, and then that comes back to us. So, uh, to my mind, in conclusion, the miracle of the vessels of oil is a picture of how our knowledge can be filled with love and compassion. And the more we learn, the greater our love can be. Thank you for your kind attention, good friends. Let's close with a prayer, shall we?
our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are infinite love and infinite wisdom. We thank you, Lord, for knowing how to deal with us. We pray, Lord, that you inspire our hearts with a love for learning, with a desire to know more, with the promise that you give us that good things are happening. If our hearts are turned in the right direction, even though these may seem like empty, pointless vessels now, there's a miracle that you can do. There's a miracle that you can do in this world, and there's a miracle you can do in the other world to fill all those states of our lives, all those vessels in us. You can fill them to the brim with your love and compassion, and this is just the beginning of wonderful things that go forward from there. We thank you, Lord. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting and learning, friends, so that our hearts can truly one day be full.